Revelation chapter 10. The first thing you need to know about Revelation 10 is that it has a chapter break where there's not one. Okay, you have to understand that when John and Paul and all the rest of them wrote what we have is we call the New Testament, they just continued writing. It's when King James authorized the Bible, they begin to take, make chapter breaks. And chapter breaks sometimes are where they shouldn't be, and this is one of them. Because, basically, chapter 10 is going, it doesn't really come to a conclusion until the 14th verse of chapter 11. But take heart. I'm not going to go through the 14th verse of chapter 11 today. All right? But I just want you to know that's, that's what we're looking at here uh, as we began. This chapter 10 begins to us another interlude. Now, we introduced you to an interlude back in chapter 7. Once again, we have this interlude, and an interlude is given to us by God in, in a particular way to teach us. And to show us exactly who God is. Now, the first woe has passed. And, and we saw that in chapter 8 uh, as the angels had, had uh, blown the trumpets. And they blew one, two, three, four, five, six. And then we come to after the sixth trumpet, the angel begins to fly saying, woe, woe, woe. And then the woe has passed. One, we're moving into the second and the third woe that is coming about. We don't understand a lot of it. In chapter 9, especially with, with the horde uh, that is coming at us like scorpions. The army, 200 million strong. It's hard to really grasp as to what that is and, and what John was seeing. But understand that John could only describe what he saw in his day. He didn't see tanks. He didn't see missiles. He didn't see weapons. He didn't see all of that. But he saw and he looked. And to him, this is what these things were. So a lot of that we just really can't grasp and say this is definitive. But now between the sixth and the seventh, seal, trumpet, and bowl, there's always an interlude. In chapter 7, that's when we were introduced to 144,000. The interlude ended. Chapter 8 began blowing the trumpets of God. Now that we have come to the seventh trumpet, yet to blow, there's an interlude in chapter 10 through verse 14 of chapter 11. Okay? And then the trumpet's going to blow. And then we're going to get over in chapter 16, and the last bowl, the seventh bowl or vial, is going to be poured out. But right before that, very small, and we'll see it when we get there, God has another interlude. Okay? So the judgments of God have fallen. The seals have been broken. The scroll has opened. They see now both sides, everything that's written on the scroll. With the scroll open, it is showing to us, once again, keep in mind, it is revealing to us how that God is going to take back 
what has been lost from the Garden of Eden. The kinsman redeemer is none other than Jesus Christ. Here's what God will do to take back this earth. Now, he hasn't lost control of it ever since the Garden of Eden. He's still in control of it. But Satan is roaming. He's all around. He's got minions, and, and we, we've seen those. The abyss is open, and, and we see these minions come out and, and the things that they can do. And when we begin to look at and see how that all of these things begin to happen, these are the judgments of God that are beginning to fall. But in this interlude, once again, we see the grace of God, the mercy of God during the time of judgment that God is bringing to us. Each of these reminds us that God wants to encourage us. God wants us to see uh, comfort in a darkened and devastated world. God wants us to know he still loves you. He still cares. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Satan is now manifest more fully in this world through the Antichrist. Now, I saw something the other day, and I always get amused at this. People are talking about uh, different ones. This, this one is the Antichrist. And they see someone that's doing something, and this is the Antichrist. This is the Antichrist. Is the Antichrist living right now? We don't know. Could he be living right now? Yes, he could. But do you know how I know that the Antichrist is not doing anything right now? Because I'm still here. And you're saying, what? The church will be gone before the Antichrist ever takes hold. Now, he, he'll rise. But when that, that, that begins to happen then you and I are going to be, if you're a part of the kingdom of God, born again, trusting Jesus as your Savior, then He will take us out. Meditata, after these things. That's when all of this is going to take place. And God wants us to know of His grace and His mercy, but He also wants to, us to know, when you read this interlude, God is still in control of this. God, God hadn't turned loose of this. He's still sovereign. But here's what's happening. Everybody wants what man wants in this world. And we're going to see that a little deeper when we get to the last of this chapter. But they want, they want man to control. They want us to do what we want to do. You want to see what a world is like when man is totally in control and is able to do what they want to do, then read the judgments of God. Because He's showing us just exactly what would happen if God just pulled back and said, I'm not sovereign anymore, I don't want this world anymore, then you can see what's going to happen to this world when Satan takes a complete control of it. But just like he did with Job, Satan can only go as far as God allows. That's it. And he's still in control of this. But his judgments continue to fall. Now this interlude is the longest in the scripture. These verses from, from verse 1 of chapter 10 to verse 14 of chapter 11. That's the longest interlude that we're going to see in the scripture. And then the seventh trumpet is going to sound. 
Now, we're about to leave behind this hideous army that, that we saw in chapter 9. And we're going to prepare for something that God wants every one of us to understand. And we read it in, in the last few verses of chapter 10. Now, I want you to keep in mind that God is going to describe for us that which is bitter and that which is sweet. Now, it's not bittersweet. And I think there's a word like that, isn't it? How many, how many of you like bittersweet chocolate? Bittersweet chocolate. I've only got one that dares even say that. Oh, there's some more. Bittersweet. Now, now you see, here's the problem with eating bittersweet chocolate. That's an oxymoron. First of all, chocolate is not to be bitter. If it's bitter, you better spit it out or you'll be sick. Chocolate, we eat chocolate because it's sweet. It's good. Now, I know that there's the darker chocolate, and I think there ought to be a law against that. I'm, I'm calling Austin see if we can pass something because they sneak up on you. It's kind of like putting raisins in cookies. They sneak up on you. You think you've got milk chocolate, and pfft, no, you don't. See, that, that's ungodly. That's how you know Satan is active in the world when he does that stuff to you. Now, we're, gonna not, we're not going to talk about what is bittersweet. We're going to talk about what is bitter and what is sweet. That's two things. So I want you to keep that in mind because I'm not there yet, but I'll get there. Now, we want to be introduced this morning in the, in the first verse to the angel. Okay? Now, I want us to look at this angel because if you're, and I hope that you're trying to keep up with me and understand a little bit about what this book is talking to us about, then we have to understand who these angels are. And we've already talked about him before, but we're going to talk about him again. And in verse 1, he says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. So, we're introduced with another mighty angel coming down from heaven. We've seen this angel before. If you look in chapter 7 and verse 2, John said, I saw another angel. In chapter 8 and verse 3, John said, I saw another angel. In chapter 10 and verse 1, here we read, John saw another mighty angel. And then in chapter 18 and verse 1, John will once again say, I saw another angel. Well, who is that? And what is this angel? Let's read about this angel as we finish verse 1 and then read who this, about the angel that John saw. And a rainbow was upon his head, his face as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, open. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. And cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And this angel, which I saw stand upon the sea and the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, 
and swear by him that lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein are, and the earth and things that therein are, and the sea and things that therein are, that there should be time no longer. Now that's the King James, and I'll get back to that in just a minute. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. In chapter 7, this other, another angel was prophesying, calling the angels from the four winds, calling the four winds. In chapter 8, this another angel is doing the duties of a priest. He's at the altar. And we, we, we went over the fact that there was a brazen altar and a golden altar that was used on the Day of Atonement. The fire was taken. The prayers mixed in. The duties of the priest. And now in chapter 10, we see another angel that is a servant of God doing the things that are done at the bidding of God. And then in chapter 18, this other angel will be delivering the message of God. A messenger. Now you notice the, the angel comes down from heaven. And then the scripture says that he is clothed in a cloud. Now basically what that's talking about is that he is covered in the Shekinah glory of God. Now that word Shekinah is never mentioned in the scripture. The word was applied to the scripture to describe the beauty, the brightness of Almighty God. So now what he's saying is, just as Jesus was taken up in a cloud and Elijah was taken up in a cloud, he is describing to us the beauty and the grandeur of Almighty God and he's showing to us the Shekinah glory of God and this angel comes down with all of this glory and then it says he has a rainbow upon his head. Rainbow speaks of the covenant-keeping God. Can you imagine Noah as he was uh, there on the ark and all the, the days that had gone by and all of a sudden the dove doesn't come back and, Mo and Noah begins to open the ark and he opens up the ark and he looks around and he sees the devastation of the flood. Once again he looks and there's mud all around him. The ark has settled into the ground. He steps out and what does he see? I think he sees the most beautiful, pristine rainbow that has ever been on this earth. Abby showed me a picture yesterday in Hawaii. And I know, I know the road where this was taken, but it was a full circle rainbow. A full circle. And right in the middle, it, it was something that, that was hard to tell. But here's this full circle rainbow. You see, that, that's the kind of rainbow that is around the throne. The rainbow talks about the mercy of God, the covenant-keeping mercy. He was saying to Noah, Noah, you see that bow in the clouds? I see it, Lord. He said, that, that's a covenant between me and you. And that covenant says this, I will never destroy this earth. Don't stop there with water again. He never did say he wasn't going to burn it up. He said, I flooded it. I won't do that again. Next time I'll light it on fire. That's for another day. He begins to build in brilliance. 
John looks and he sees this angel and all of a sudden the angel steps down and he puts one foot in the sea and he puts one foot on the land and basically that means he's claiming that land for God. Here is this, this servant angel that has come down and he is, he is claiming all of this land, the sea and the land and all that's in it, all of this world, he's claiming it for God. All of creation, water, land. All of creation is for God. Then he looks, and in his hand there's a scroll. And the scripture says the scroll is opened. And the voice of a lion, very loud, begins to speak. Now, have we read about this before? Some of you remember. Chapter 5. You remember when, when uh, God is described on his throne in chapter 4? And then in chapter 5, they begin to look for who is able to break the seal of the scroll. <clears throat> remember that? In chapter 4, they described God, the rainbow, all around the throne, the Shekinah glory. All those things that, that remind us. So we ask ourselves now, who is this angel? Who is he? Well... If we think about it a minute, how many of you would say it's got to be Jesus? You like that? Got to be Jesus. Well, the interesting thing is, there's some things here in the rest of this chapter that points to the fact it's not Jesus. It's another angel. And we'll look at that here in just a minute. But here is this other angel that has come, and now he speaks with all power and with all authority. And in verse 3 it says, As he speaks, he cries forth louder than a lion's roar. And when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now are you confused yet? We've got seven seals. We've got seven trumpets. We've got seven bowls. And now we've got seven thunders. Don't ever forget, we, we look at those things and we say, what about those seals? What about those trumpets? What about those bowls? What about those thunders? Don't just look at that. What about that number seven? The number seven is the number of completion. God completed this earth in seven days. Everything was done to completion. And so now they cry out and seven thunders come forth. As this angel begins to declare the judgments of God that are coming upon this earth. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, John said, gee, I got a scoop. And he picked up his, his computer and he began to write. And God said, delete that, John. That's for some of you that don't know what a pen and paper are. Delete that, John. Nobody knows it. And you know what? Until God gets ready to reveal it, we'll never know what those seven thunders are. So I, I do know that there are preachers that uh, will proclaim that they have been given the knowledge of the seven thunders. If you're watching that show, turn it off. Because, folks, we can't spend time trying to study the Bible on something that we'll never understand. He said, seal it up, John. Nobody's going to know it. So guess what? 
We can't know it. We just know that there are seven things that have been said concerning the judgment of God that we are not privy to. And so we just as well move on and say, okay, I'll never know this in this life. Now this angel is standing and, and he's standing declaring his, his control of the creation of this world. In other words, I'm taking it back. And he speaks and his voice thunders. The judgments of God are, are being poured out on the earth. Satan wants to rule. God's not giving it up. God is completing the judgments that are to come. And we'll never know the end until God says. And now it says that the angel swears by God. And what does he do? He lifts his hand toward heaven. All authority belongs to him. He has that scroll in his hand. It's called a book. In this chapter, it's called a little book. We've seen that scroll before. Now, the interesting thing is that the word for scroll there is where we get our word Bible. Bible. Here is the word of God extended as the angel extends it up and he swears by the creator who created, who created the temporary that he is the one that lives forever and ever. And then he said something very interesting. And you probably saw it as we read this. In verse 6, he swear by him that lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are therein, the earth, the sea. You see, basically what he's saying is he is the creator and the creation belongs to him. But the last of that says, and that there should be time no longer. Now, the word is chronos, and it's where we get our uh, term uh, for time. But that's not, the, that's not how it's translated. Because you see, the best word for that, and it's in the NIV, I know, I didn't look at the rest of them. But in the NIV, it said, there'll be no more delay and that is another uh, definition for this word chronos and so there is no delay because that fits the, con fits the context of what he's saying here look at it again which are therein that there should be delay no longer no longer is the delay going to be concerning the judgments of God no longer is there going to be a delay in the coming of the wrath of God. Because when this interlude is over, the seventh trumpet is going to sound, and the final judgment of God in the tribulation is going to move forward, and God is going to establish his kingdom. Now, understand something about chapter 10 and 11. This is the halfway point of the tribulation. God's judgment lies in a seven year period. And he's going to complete it in that seven-year period. But also what we're going to see is that God is going to allow the Antichrist for the first three and a half years to make a covenant with Israel. And then we're going to see the temple. And we're going to understand that the Antichrist is going to move in and tear up the treaty with Israel. He's going to desecrate the temple. And thus begins the last three and a half years of this. And it's called the Great Tribulation. As he turns against Israel. 
Now, we're going to see all of that begin to unfold. And he's telling John, John, I want you to see what all of this is going to do and what's going to happen during this period of time and the judgment that is going to come. There's another word I want you to see with me that we need to understand in verse 7. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound the trumpet, the mystery of God should be finished. The mystery, what mystery? What, what mystery is he talking about here that's basically only known to God? I think one of the things that you and I can see is that this is the mystery of this long delay of God establishing his kingdom. I said, I told you this before, and ask yourself again, how many times have you said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And how many of us have prayed and said, oh God, Lord, just please come? There's no answer. Has he come? No. Have we been raptured? No. What's the delay? Why not? What is, what is this mystery that he's talking about? This mystery that is, is delayed that has come to us. It is the mystery, first of all, the mystery that's been preached through the prophets. Because you see, the prophets prophesied of the coming Messiah, but they couldn't see it. They couldn't see Calvary. They couldn't see the, the resurrection tomb. They couldn't see the ascension hill. All they could do is prophesy that the Messiah is coming. And they knew that they, he was going to be the deliverer of all of them. And so it's the mystery of that which has been preached to the prophets. But they never saw. But found its completion in Jesus. You know how we know? Let's go back to the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. Right near the end before Jesus died. He comes out of this, this fog, comes out of, of whatever took place when he cried and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for three hours he suffered there on the cross. And then he come out and he said, I thirst. Remember that? That was the fifth time he spoke. And then he said, It is finished. What? That mystery of God from the prophets, from, from actually from Genesis 3 all the way through to Calvary. It is finished. Everything that they said has come to pass. It's all true. It's finished. And so now this mystery of God all of a sudden comes to life through Jesus Christ. And then he rises again and he goes to live in heaven. But what about this delay to us? What about the years that we get older and we hurt and we suffer? What about the years that we get older and our minds begin to wane and our bodies won't let us do what they used to do and we can't remember what we want to remember and our bodies begin to weaken and our bodies get, begin to worry out and we cry out and we say, oh God, I don't want to stay in this any longer and it just continues on and on and on. What about uh, the years of sin that we've had to endure and, and the things that we've done and we've put up with? What about death that we've had to endure? putting others and, and, and uh, seeing others that have gone to be with the Lord or, or whatever it might be. Over and again, we see all of those things happen and it happens to us and we say, I don't know. Then we ask ourselves, did God really mean this? Did God really know about this? Does God even care about this? 
Does he care? Does he care about you? Does he care about me? What about all of these prayers that we prayed? And how many of you here will say, I've prayed, and I prayed this prayer, but God didn't answer. I've got news for you, Fred, and I don't want you to ever forget this. God answers every prayer. And we saw in, in the revelation that he's got them all up there ready to go. There are some that will be unleashed. Our prayers will be mixed in with the, with the smoke that rises up to God from the altar. We saw that. But there are times when God will answer us and he'll say, yes, amen. And then there are times that he will say, no, no. That's, that's not what's best for you. And how many times have you looked back when you cried and said, God, I want this, and time and time and time goes on and on and on, and you feel like God hadn't done anything from you, and all of a sudden things have just opened up, and it's so much better. If he had answered that prayer, you'd have been out of his will suffering, but he gives you in time. Wait a while is what he says. Wait on me. Wait and understand. What about all of these things that seemingly rob us? What about Satan running rampant all through our world? I want you to keep something in mind. And then I'm moving on. God will one day say to the last victim, or say to death, this is your last one, no more. One of these days, God is going to say to Satan, this is the last life you're ever going to ruin. There will be no more. To many of us here, without Christ as our Savior, God may be saying, it's your last chance. And I've already showed you that if you leave this, if the rapture comes, and we go, and the judgments began in the tribulation, the delusion will come, and we'll not accept Christ. John sees all of this. The angel from heaven. And then in verse 8. The voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. Now here's what I want you to see about my understanding that this isn't Jesus, this angel. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. Folks. If that angel was Jesus, John would not have walked up and said, give me the book. He would have fallen flat on his face and worshipped him. That's what the scripture says, isn't it? So this is another angel that's been sent by God. Because you can see it in, in chapter 1. He saw Jesus, and what did he do? He fell down and he worshipped him. And the 24 elders worship him, and the angels worship him. Maybe Jesus to you, and that's fine. I don't care. But that just meant something to me. Now, John said to him, just like he was told, he walked up to him and he said, give me the little book. And that's, that's the phrase, little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it up, and it shall make your belly bitter, but it shall be in your mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hands and ate it up, 
and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. As soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. John is now involved in the revelation. The angel has declared his authority as he lifted the book high. He tells him to take the book. Then he, he tells him to obey me. Eat it up. What is this book? It's called the little book. It was sealed prior. It's been unrolled now. Been exposed. Everything that God is going to do to take back his forfeited inheritance. It is a book of redemption. And we can see the things that we'll inherit from God. The book unsealed. Satan is cast out. The Lord is our sacrifice. And we see everything that's in the book. And the book reveals how God redeems this lost creation and he takes it back. Now why would the angel say to John to eat the book? And it'll be sweet in your mouth and bitter in your belly. Okay, we have to understand the book first of all. The book is the word of God. Okay, that scroll... That scroll belonged to God. That's his word. His word to us. And so what John did, and if you read the, the original language of it, that term little book comes from the root word Bible. So now we have this little Bible that he's holding in his hand. The scroll is open. We see everything that God is going to do. And we read the front of this scroll. We read the whole thing. And we understand. And so he says to him, okay, John, now take the book and eat it up. Well, I have to be honest with you. I've never taken a bite out of this book. I've got a lot of them. I've wore them out, but I've never eaten one of them. But he says to John, eat it up. What does that mean? To eat the book means to assimilate the book. In other words, you have to get it all down inside of you. You have to run it all the way through your body. You have to get it, everything that's there inside of you to assimilate. So if he says to eat that book, he's going to assimilate that book. Now the precedence has already been set about eating this, this book. Listen to what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah said, thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 2 said, And when I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and was written within and without. And there was written there lamentations and mourning and woe. He said to me, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this roll and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he calls me to eat that roll. Same thing. Jeremiah, assimilate that word in you. All that, we, all that you know. Ezekiel, put in there all that you know. Take in his word. Then he said, and I took the little book out of the angel's hands and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. As soon as I had eaten, my belly was bitter. And he said, you must prophesy again. John was to take it all in. 
before he could prophesy. Dear Christian friend, these last few verses are for me and you. And I want you to understand something. I encourage you time and again to read your Bible. I encourage you to read it through every year. You just take time, a few minutes every day. You can read so much. There's so much available to you to help you to do that. And sometimes we say, I'm going to take the time to read the Bible, and I'll start at this time, and then I'll be ready to go and do this. If you start setting times to do that, Satan will tear you out of that, and you'll quit it. What you do is take the time every morning to read the Word of God. Because what God wants us to do is to take in His Word and understand what He's saying. Now, it's all joy to us when we think about Jesus saved me. Jesus loves me. There's a home in heaven for me. He answers my prayers. He's always with me. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. We can claim promise after promise after promise after promise. And we, we go back to the fact, he said, I took that book in and I began to, to eat that. And it was sweet. How sweet is it when I look at you and say, oh, God loves you. And it doesn't matter what you do. You can go sin all you want to, but God loves you. So just live like you want to live because God loves you. And we don't need to talk about sin. We don't need to talk about wrath. We don't need to talk about those things that are, that are coming to us if we refuse Christ as our Savior. God loves you. Isn't that sweet? I'm not that sweet. Because here's what happens, and here's, here's what you need to understand. When you take that sweetness in, when it hits your belly, bitter, what he's saying is this. You've got to take the bitter with the sweet. Because, folks, I'm going to tell you something. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus died for you. Yes, Jesus rose again. Yes, he's coming back. Yes, he's built a place in heaven for you. Yes, we have a place waiting if we know Christ is our Savior. That's very good. But there's also a place called hell. There are people around you that are dying and going to hell. And hell is a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is very real. Hell is very hot. Hell is very uh, dominated by darkness and suffering and pain and torment. And he said, I want you to tell people Jesus loves them, but you better tell them about those things that you don't want to say. 52 years I've been doing this. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't relish the fact when I have to stand up here and talk about you going to hell and you being delivered in the hands of Satan and you suffering for torment. I don't, I don't like that. I'd rather tell you just how much God loves you. But folks, if I'm going to tell you how much God loves you, I'm going to tell you this. He loves you so much that he's prepared a way that you don't have to suffer in hell. But we've got to preach that message too. That's why it was important for me to go through this book of Revelation. To understand there is a wrath and a judgment of God that is coming to this earth. And we may not see it now. And I've got, I've got people, I've, I've had people over the years <coughs> that have told me, I said, well, I'm, years ago, I said, I'm going to start a study in Revelation. They said, oh, I've already started Revelation. 
And even right now, I guarantee you there's some said, I don't need to go up there. I've already studied Revelation. I don't understand it, so really there's nothing to it. It's just a bunch of symbols and signs and, and all of those things. No, you've got to take the bitter with the sweet. Our God is a God of wrath, and you better understand that. Our God is a God of judgment, and you better understand that. And dear Christian friend, you're going to be judged. I'm going to be judged because of my service to God. And we're going to be rewarded or we're not. And that's when he wipes away the tears from our eyes. We need to get in the Word of God. We need to assimilate the Word of God. We need to speak the Word of God. And we need to speak the truth of God. And that truth is bitter and sweet. And we have to take the bitter with the sweet. And that's what he said to John. Do you notice chapter, verse 11? You're going to prophesy, John, and you tell him everything. You tell him what's burning in your belly. You tell him what's sweet in your mouth. Folks, that's the same thing God wants from us today. He wants us to take his word, and he wants us to assimilate it in us. It's time that we get in the word of God and look and see. Did that preacher tell me the truth this morning? Look it up. Find it. If I missed it, tell me. I'll tell it again. That's for all of us. But here's what we need to understand. Jesus loves you. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. He wants to save you. He wants to take you out. We've got so many people that are so full of pride or they're embarrassed or whatever it might be. Folks, this is the place where we get rid of our pride and we turn loose of our embarrassment and because it's this time for us to prepare ourselves for the wrath and the judgment that is to come in this earth. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be here when it happens and I'm ready for Jesus to come again. Are you? If you're not, you better be. He wants to save you. He wants to change you. That's the good part, the sweet part. The bitter part is, if you don't, you reject him, he'll reject you. Don't do that, please. Don't do that. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You're here this morning and you know that you've never accepted Christ. Nothing about a baptism has been said. Nothing about joining a church. That doesn't help you. You need to open your heart and receive Christ. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And in faith, if you'll pray that prayer, you can ask Jesus to come into your heart and save you. So you join me right now. Dear Father, I know that I'm a lost sinner. I believe Jesus Christ died for me. I believe he rose again. By faith, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sins. Save me, Lord. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. Now, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to get up and come down to the front here. I'll meet you in just a minute. Just get up and come. And then tell me, I just prayed and asked Jesus into my heart. You come right now if you want to pray that prayer. But you just really couldn't do it. You come down here right now and you and I will pray that prayer together. Dads, moms, young people, you need to come. You need to trust Jesus as your Savior. 
Maybe you need a church home. By a letter from another Baptist church, by statement, the church no longer exists, or uh, you've been saved and been baptized by immersion. You can come by statement. Whatever we need to do, say, Lord, that's what I want to do. Make this your home as God has brought you today. Whatever God is laying on your heart, I encourage you to come. I'll be here to meet you, so you come. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, we share your truth. Now may we step out in the truth of your word and say yes to Jesus in our hearts today. Give us the boldness, give us the victory. In Jesus' name, as we stand together and as we sing, I invite you to come. Come right now, but come quickly.